tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Hi everyone, you're listening to District Durkas. A Durka from Yemen, that's me, Sama, and a Durka from Algeria, that's Lilia. We live in the District of Columbia. We get together to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Our topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc., and all the prisms and schisms in between. Thank you guys for tuning in. We have a new format for an episode today. I'm just still kind of hyped from your song from the start. There's a lot of attitude <laughs> Be hyped, to it. my friend. Be hyped. So to our listeners, we are going to kind of introduce a new format to our show. It's going to be broken up into three segments. The first one is going to be about current events that we read this past week that we would like to talk just very briefly on. And then we'll delve in into a subject that's a bit heavier. And this week we chose... Well, before we get into the subject, um, I'd like to clarify one thing. Uh, we just met with a friend, and he asked what the, the show was about, what's a Durka, and you're like, well, it's about being an Arab and living in D.C. Well, I have to, you know, remind everyone that being a Durka is being affiliated, yes, with being Arab, but being Muslim and being from the Middle Eastern region, as well as from North Africa and suffering. Being Persian, being Turkish. Exactly. It's a brown person. Yes. The brown person experience in D.C. So we can't speak for everyone, but we do speak of our own personal experiences. We're we're appropriating the slur. Well, what what are we going to talk about in the middle segment? Uh, The middle segment is going to be the aftermath of every terrorist attack as a Durka. And then after that, we have a special section for Orientalism Express. We've selected something that kind of hit home for me. But before that, let's jump in into our first segment that has yet to have a name, (laughs) but we've selected two current events that we'd like to discuss. How about you go first, Lily? Yeah, so this week I selected um, the fact that Saudi Arabia is reopening their cinemas after a 35-year hiatus. And their first feature movie will be Black Panther. Nice. Nice. So, is this a step forward? Probably for AMC theaters. They're the first one to get a contract. Well, that's not surprising because let's give our audiences some context to the fact that the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia was in the United States for a period that seemed close to three weeks. And in those three weeks, he met with everyone in Trump's administration, went up north, and met with everyone who's a who, who's who in the religious community. And then every, everybody from the owner of Amazon to uh, production companies in L.A. to Oprah Winfrey met up with him in California. He met up. It was kind of a meet and greet trip where he really did go out and meet everyone who is of relevance of power in any sort of way, whether it's political or through the entertainment industry. And so it's not surprising 
that he would announce kind of a deal with AMC because he's trying to kind of build a friendly relationship with the United States at first. And two, he's also trying to shift away the focus or to fix the image that Saudi Arabia has. It's changing and catching up with its neighbors, the Emirates. Apparently, I didn't know that, that Saudis had to fly to Bahrain to watch movies. Oh, they don't have to fly anymore because they actually built a bridge. Oh, my goodness. So maybe this is just a way of... You know, making the economy more dynamic. It's it stems well, from I think Saudi instead of Arabia, losing all that money to Bahrain and Qatar and the Emirates, you bring it back home. And it's not something new to you know bring in some well, American import. You know, and in Saudi Arabia, it's so conservative that people would have to go to nearby countries before it used to be Lebanon to kind of have you know let out some air and kind of relax and 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 kind of do things that are not allowed back home. And so now they're doing it in Bahrain and Dubai as. Gulf countries are loosening up. I don't think that's happening yet with Qatar, and Qatar is having a really hard time right now in the Middle East. They have cinemas. Of course they do, but Saudi Arabia is far more conservative, and now Qatar is kind of blocked off a little bit more than it was before. Uh, what's interesting, though, is those, to me, are very daring reforms, and the reason they weren't happening before is because there was a, a popular force on the ground that didn't want that to happen. You know, they don't want these changes or these Western ways to take over and the land. And yet they fly over next door to next door countries to enjoy these entertainments. Well, is that kind of shocking? This kind of makes me think of girls that I grew up with who wore a hijab and then took it off when they felt that the situation wasn't appropriate for hijab. And what I mean by that is I grew up with a lot of girls who cover their hair because they feel like a sense of duty, this is what we're supposed to do. But if they are outside of their country, they take it off because their their cultures are different. So they kind of act, uh, they do what the Romans do, in a sense. And so I don't see how that's kind of any different. But I do like that they are bringing that reform back in to Saudi Arabia. It only kind of makes me worry about, you know, if the culture is very conservative, what happens to the people that go to these cinemas? Are they going to be socially no, ostracized? No, they're going to be safe. I think they're ready. It's not like Saudis are not big uh, consumers. No, they are. They're definitely they're one of the biggest I mean, consumers. Think of the Tom Ford perfumes a, having a oud. A one billion dollar market. This is not. This is not like the Saudis are way ready for this. This is long overdue. This has been thirty-five years. Obviously, there's a desire through the traveling to you know get that experience. So I don't think the, the people are not ready. No, I think I'm just worried about Maybe backlash. the regime was not ready to get a backlash from, I mean, Saudi split between the Saud family and then the clerics. So yeah. they didn't, for so long, they didn't want to upset the clerics. That's and exactly that died. what I'm talking and about. You know, how would the clerics Ben Salman react? has been taking his own initiative, like letting women drive, opening the cinema. It, it, he has a plan for Saudi to catch up with the rest of the world in 2030. But let me point Now, out something with all of this. But this is all really great news for Saudi Arabia, but they're all part of superficial changes, correct. nothing institutional. Correct. And that's kind of they're still you know, bombarding Yemen. Well, it's still dire that, there. That's a whole other subject that I don't. That's I mean, kind of a Pandora's box that I wouldn't <laughs> want to open right now. But I, I do, you know, I see it as positive changes. And and Hamad bin Salman and Saudi Arabia are facing a lot of praise for these changes. There's steps that need to be taken to kind of meet the 21st century. But at the same time, does it mean any institutional change? Are people going to have more rights, or are they just allowed to go to the cinema? For now, no. But I feel like the cinema will take rights of its own on the people like it'll end up trickling down in people's mind opening them up like exposing them to new ideas images be inspired 
So well, even though think, it, for now it's very controlled. Do you think the selection of the film, the first film to play in Saudi Arabia, is going to be Black Panther? It is going to be Black Panther. It makes a lot of sense that it's Black Panther. First of all, I don't think there are any scenes. Not that they will not... Uh, Sexual scenes, right? No, that's yes, what you mean. It's a very They're going to censor it anyway. So, and also it's very interesting because the reason why they started to be so stiff on entertainments and, and their values 35 years ago in 1979 is when that great mosque mm -hmm. was stormed by an insurgency that wanted to take away the power from the Wahhab clerics and yeah. the Sauds, right? So mm -hmm. after that, when they finally vanquished this insurgency, they were like, the well... The Juhayman Atebi incident? Yes, uh -huh. we're, we're closing everything. That's when Saudi went from... I don't know how they were before 79, but according to them, it seemed a bit more... Tolerant. Liberal, yes. yes. So after that, it was the Dark Ages. And in Black Panther... It's kind of, kind of, there's a parallel there where the, the perfection of Wakanda is infiltrated by some kind of insurgency, but comes from the inside. A shared awakening. Exactly, but the end of Black Panther is embracing and not closing the borders of Wakanda, but opening it. That's a very optimistic way of looking at it. I hope that that is the lesson that they learn. I'm kind of more curious on the level of you know, what if they don't see it that way? What if they are upset because the movie is mostly uh, black people, you know? I mean, there, there are things, the people, you know, Saudi Arabia, like any other place, you have people who are tolerant and accepting and educating and educated, and then you have the other half of the population that's still ignorant, that's very conservative, that's racist. Uh, how is that going to play? And one of the things that I'm really curious about is there were magazines like Kia and Sayyidati where they would actually color up the sleeves for women if they wore sleeveless dresses and shirts. How would that play out on a movie? Are they going to attempt to kind of cover up their bodies uh, through some sort of animation? Um, I mean, I, I think, think it'll be in the curating, but honestly... But they can learn from the Emirati experience. It also seems that they're channeling their people. Like, there's a lot of unrest right now. There's a lot of tension yeah. there's a lot of disparity between what the people want and the regime and i think this is a way of channeling the masses like sit down have some popcorn watch something nice calm down i think it's a great way i think it's a great way to calm people down give them an opportunity to live and talking about calming people down some people were turned up in your current event that you picked for this week a oh, little too turned up for yeah. people expecting babies so when we said that we we're gonna pick two current events to talk about i almost thought that I, I'm going to come here and talk about the bombings in Syria. And I was Same, like, and oh I was like, God, nah. I hope I don't get too political. But then <laughs> something very bizarre happened. As I wake up at 4 a.m. sometimes and I have a hard time sleeping, I read gossip columns. And this week, the thing that hit the news most was that Tristan Thompson was cheating on Khloe Kardashian and that this video leaked everywhere. And so while I was reading about it, I was reading about, you know, his cheating... Uh, you know, the scandals, the, the, the many times that he's gone out and done something like that. And then something hit home. In one of the places where there was a video of him being with two women, he, it happened here in Arlington, Virginia, and it happened at Darna. And you didn't know about Darna nope. before this. But were you being ironic when you say it hit home? Because Darna means our home. Yes, in a Lebanese accent. It's from Dar. Darna means our home. Uh, Darna is such a fascinating place. I personally made a choice right when it opened that I will ethically and morally refuse to go to that place. It's kind of a, the way that our 
producer here and our, our, our sound engineer, Jack, feels about some sort of uh, pop-up bars. I have the same position on it in the way that I know what they're doing. I know what the purpose of this place is. I refuse to be part of this. Okay, now we have to go. Now we, have a, we need a recon District Durka mission at Darna. I need to know what's going on there. Well, the thing is, I kind of know some of the owners of the place. Um, they, was, had, they had some successful endeavors in Virginia where they have hookah bars that don't serve alcohol. It's a lot more of a quiet sit-down place. And I enjoy those places because you get to play cards, you get to sit and talk. And to be honest, as a former hookah lover and smoker, it's kind of chill. You know, it relaxes you. It tastes better than nicotine. It's kind of a social habit. Um, and you get to sit there for hours. You can sit till after 3 a.m. And it involves no kind of extremely damaging way to your body. Although it is. Is it a Durka epicenter? Yes. So there's oh, a place, for example, called Tarbush on the highway that is like definitely a Durka central. And people of all brown colors go there. Uh, but what Darna is, is it took that to another level. And so what I did is I posted on my Instagram <clears throat> that I need urgent descriptions of Darna. And so somebody responded immediately with shithole. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound like an accurate description. Can you please tell me more about it? Some other friend, though, responded by saying... I'm not way too familiar with it, but I've only gone there a couple of times. I would describe it as a place where Middle Easterners come to meet and greet. Dark, hookah, and cigarettes are allowed. A place where your average white American would feel uncomfortable. And I was like, well, that's, that's a nice way. That's, actually, it sounds very accurate to me because my impression of it is uncomfortable, that... Uncomfortable, though? Well, I think that they would feel uncomfortable. Is it aggressive? It they play like Arabic and Middle Eastern music. They would play Persian music. There's a lot of Iranian girls that go there. Yeah, A lot of fly. Saudi men that go there. I mean, if you read the reviews on Yelp, it's kind of the place where you have to be dressed from head to toe. If you're a girl not dressed in a tight dress and high heels, they won't let you in kind of thing. Yeah, Unless you're a, a regular, like they a know you. And it's very dark. So apparently anything goes. So for Tristan like Thompson to pick it out... <laughs> It's, 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 it's a warehouse a that turned into bar. a club. Now, the thing is, I don't know how they got that footage. And I'm kind of super eager to get in touch with Darna and be like, hey, do you guys have any comments about the Khloe Kardashian, Tristan Thompson incident? Maybe we can get we some. Get, gather that anyway, the three girls or the two girls definitely had some Durka to them. And do we consider... I mean, I do. This happened. The this Kardashians happened in 2017. Durka, is that like a many the Kardashians are definitely half right Durkas because I mean, they're, they're Armenian, Armenian. So yeah, there you go. So definitely, they they've helped. In my opinion, they've helped make the Middle Eastern standard of beauty yes. more of a norm. But then the they went too almost. far. They went too far by like plastic surgery. And when you see the girls with whom he's cheating, they're all, I mean, they the look like Kim appearance. K. They're like the same. So you know, the I, burn, I, I'm going to kind burn. of flatter myself and say that we are a happy medium of, you know, black and white beauty. And um, that's me I'm not going to make a myself right here. <laughs> I'm not making You're a like, comment. You're like, I, I hate that, this kind of stuff. My non-comment is enough. What I'm saying is that it's become, um, because of the Kardashians, that type of beauty is a thing that people really get into so for our first segment yeah that's that's gonna be a hard from uh so we're talking about the kardashian we and start like cheating and darna and now terrorist attack and and my heart off. goes to chloe kardashian oh my god can you imagine being pregnant with the entire world kind of listening to that well, and caring about that it's very hard you i went and i researched the matter and i ended up 
ending up on some show where they pointed out that when she started dating him, oh my God, what is the show becoming he, right yeah, now? It's true. He was, uh, he he was, was, was with someone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah, was yeah. technically cheating on someone else. Well, he wasn't technically cheating. He wasn't with her. But anyways, but regardless, it's, she was it's a prego. tough situation. Yes. Especially since the entire world is looking at you. But And talking show, about the entire world looking at you, I think that's kind of what happens after something yeah. real traumatic happens every time and it's branded terrorism terrorism so so our show is gonna get drastically darker and darker as we go like darna dark darker than that and i but i think that our audiences have a taste for the dark they're they're listening to us anyway so we're gonna talk about experiences post 9 11 and the focus on being middle eastern or brown in the united states and north uh, african Muslim, just just what what Persian looks like Afghan. someone who could be a terrorist in the eyes of the West. And I think that's kind of hard. I, I just personally, I'm going to start by saying where I was when 9-11 happened. I was in middle school in the Netherlands. I was in an American school and I was just learning English. And when 9-11 happened, they sent all the students back home in a rush. And I remember turning on the TV and watching the image of two planes crash into a building, which, by the way, was a thought that I had before as a nightmare. I was like, oh, my God, what if a plane doesn't know where to land and it crashes into a building? And so watching it was just kind of like... Are you saying it's like in Durka DNA to envisage these things? It's very dangerous. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I have a fear of flying and that I... You know, one of the fears that I had was like a plane would kind of malfunction and crash into things that were not supposed to be crashed into. Yeah. Um, and Nin- at that point, I didn't realize what it was. It was just really scary to see it happen. And I just remember that the school gave us kind of like a week off. And then right after that, I think, you know, I, I wasn't even in America, but the school had security guards outside. We had schools. We had cameras everywhere. You weren't allowed to congregate. There's just like this extra sense of if you're American worldwide, you have to shelter yourself and you have to have this extra security and you have to be blocked off and you have to be uh, terrified of outsiders. And I think in America, it might have been you know, different. Like we are under attack. We are under threat. And I think that sense of threat is something that the media capitalizes on continuously by fear mongering and by... You know, they're giving you news that sometimes is not really news. And there's been statistics by Time Magazine and other news that if a brown person commits an act of terror, it's covered by the news media longer and more in-depth than a crime that's committed by, let's say, a white supremacist. And there's more divulging about the identity, like names are thrown, uh, the picture of the person is already... Like, there's a lack of deontology, whereas if it's somebody else, maybe they'll protect the identity longer until they investigate and are ready to... Feel like if there's like a name that resonates Durka, then you're automatically doing the front page. And I mean, no- think about it. It's been every shade of color except for white. I mean, just last week, and this is going to sound really bad. There was an attack that happened in Germany where a guy drove his car into a restaurant, but it didn't make it anywhere in the news. And the German government quite very quickly uh, quieted it down by saying this person is a German citizen, doesn't have doesn't seem to have any ties to terrorism. So we don't need to talk about it. Um, and so to me, I was like, well, no, because even though he has no ties to the usual terrorist groups, that is still an act of terrorism. And just because he is white and a German citizen, we don't get to pay that much attention to it. How and about the dread of the event itself as it happens? Like the, the fear, you're experiencing fear, you're just like anybody else. And then the fear of, oh my goodness, like, is it, 
is it affiliated to fundamentalism that i'm always holding my stomach almost like i don't know if it's cynical or anything but i'm like i hope it's not i, I hope it's everything but that because i don't want to yeah. face another you know media circus repercussions i don't want to be called things i don't want to feel like a target which is very is very tough because algeria has experienced terrorism firsthand mm -hmm. so it's hard to be in the position of being pointed at being from somewhere that experienced yeah that's it. that's the thing that people so you, don't yeah you're know. removed from your it's i don't want to say victim seat but somebody who experienced it and you have to explain what it is i don't know what it is so working on yemen and on journalism outside of you know outside of the show here a lot of times i have to explain that the first victims of these groups are the local populations of where these groups operate the first victims tend to be people of their own where they this first suicide missions are not actually against americans they're against the neighborhoods that you know sometimes even raise them and so i think that people here don't realize that but i do share a feeling with you where the minute I see that something bad happened in the United States, like, oh, there's a, a mass shooting or some sort of really tragic news that happens, the first thing I say in my gut is, dear God, like, dear, you know, universe, please, like, don't make it, don't make it a Durka, don't make it a Muslim, don't make it an Arab, don't make it a brown person, don't make it someone who is in a way, shape or sort, like, in any way affiliated with what I could be because... We don't need that anymore. We have enough of it. And the thing is, I thought that, you know, you miss, you know, let's say we get lucky and one time it's not a Durka and it's well, a white person. Well, that wouldn't be lucky. Just well, let's never lucky. You know what I mean? But let's say that your, your, your hopes are met, you know, by saying that I hope this person is not one of us and it's met. The problem is these incidents have been happening over and over again. So I get that pit in my stomach every time. I'm just like, oh, no, no, no. And now it's even worse where I'm just like, not only do I not want it to be Durka, I specifically do not want it to be a Yemeni citizen because things are already bad as they are. Like, they're not allowed visas. They're banned from the U.S. They can't go to any country. And so in my mind, I'm just like, I really hope that it's not them because what else can they do? Like, how much worse can it be? Because while the media is happy to point out that it's a brown person and it's terrorism, it has actual genuine repercussions by the fact that people, you know, socially people would look at you weird. They identify you as such, but then there They'll are policies, there are policies, the face. There are policies that get into, into yes. place where you're not a person anymore. You're demoted as a person. And I've talked about this before in the show where I get selected at every airport, even though I'm American because my birthplace says Yemen. Why were you, why were you kicked in the face? Well, I'm, I'm going to save that for another. I, I really want to talk about like the, the position you're put in when, when, these, uh, when these attacks happen. And I want to specifically talk about the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Yes. I was, um, I was in France when that happened. Wow. So when the Charlie Hebdo attacks happened, I was really moved because that was kind of how they operated in Algeria. What... What these people do is that they try to strip you off like the culture, the intellectuals, the journalists, any sort of opposition, any sort of uh, like they, they take care of the thinking class. They want to destroy that. Mm -hmm. So that hit really hard because the first people to go in Algeria after the police and, and uh, you know, the military because they have to gather arms were the journalists. So as it was happening in Algeria, there was no social media or place to gather. 
I was in D.C. and the museum had organized a gathering mm-hmm. to, to pay uh, our respects. Tribute. And I, yep. Yes. So I felt like, wow, well, at least I, I get to participate in 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 this and in, in, in showing like my pain. And so I, I, I get to the museum and obviously the in majority they were French and I see a familiar face. I see a friend of mine who walks up to me and this is a friend. This is someone I've known for eight years. And um, he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, obviously, what do you think what I'm doing here? And then he's like, yeah, you should be apologizing. Oh, please. Like, this is, this is, this is your religion. Like, your, your, your book is just, I mean, your message. Like, you cannot be here without being hypocritical. Is that hypocritical. someone I know who's kind of hypocritical y- himself? Yes. Okay. But the problem is, like, you're put in this position where you either have to justify actions that you don't understand, that you don't want to understand. So you, you either are on the defensive or having to apologize. That's yeah. a very dissociative and very harsh feeling to go through as you're going through the pain of what is happening. Well, I think that's kind of a problem that Islam is facing where the younger, more liberal people are buying into the hype that it is, in fact, a violent religion and are choosing to distance themselves from their faith and their background. And I think that nobody should be shamed of someone else's action Especially, I mean, I think denouncing it is really important and saying that I do not belong to that kind of thinking and I believe that it's wrong. But do you really but apologizing, have to say that? No, but why do you have to say that? Because now it's, it's portrayed. Unless you're a terrorist, then you're not. Yeah, but the way they're covering this stuff is that every person from the Middle East, every person who's Muslim must think some sort of thing like that. They must think that we are all infidels in the West and that they want to get us. They, but they you also know don't pay attention to people condemning the action. They're all like, well, we don't have like a centralized anything. Yes. But there are but they so don't many people that. who condemn, but they just don't pay attention. They just want to say there's no condemnation. They don't, like, no, they don't pick up the news. They don't, you know, the apology and saying the condemnation of it is not always picked up and i don't know what else do they want you know what else do you want us to take up arms and fight them because i am non-violent by nature you know i'm not going to pick up arms generally I mean, when it was algeria we did pick up arms and fight them but that's yeah. like within your own country your your own like this is as a sovereign country you do what you have to do but well let me explain very quickly how i felt was happening so in america the 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 reaction for the charlie abdu was um relevant in the news But I think that society wasn't extremely shook by it the way that France was. And I happened to be in Marseille when they were looking for the Charlie Hebdo female suspect that was associated with one of the attackers. And Marseille, if anybody knows, is heavily North African. Um, It's got a lot of immigrants there. Arabic is usually spoken around. And, you know, when I walked on the streets of Marseille, I've never felt a situation so tense. There were armed police everywhere. I mean, you can really compare it to the way that I would imagine Ferguson kind of felt, but less, less combat per se. But there was that tension between the local population and the police. And then within that, you know, I would generally, you know, being of a brown skin color Muslim in France, I would kind of associate with the people. But then within the people, there were layers of distrust and layers of, you know, who are you? Where do you belong? What side do you go to? And I, I think that's a real problem and it shows a failure in a collective response to an ideology that's become p- prominent and present. And I think projecting it onto every pr- brown person you know is kind of a, 
a mistake. Well, that that I think is so obvious that I should not have said that because it's so obvious yet I have to say it. I mean, this this kind of is going to bring us into our next segment. Yeah, let's go for Orientalism Expressed. I, I've made a special sound for you guys. <laughs> well, this is Orientalism Expressed, everyone. <laughs> our, our show selection for this week comes from a show called Sensitive Skin. Sensitive Skin was filmed in Canada and has Kim Cattrall starring in it. Who finally, she got her show. I, I don't know if it's still ongoing. Oh, well. She has two seasons in. This, this show was filmed a while back. What drew me in was kind of the fact that it was dark and humorous at the same time. And the writing is excellent. The, the words that come out of the characters, their turmoil is profound yet very light. Uh, the two main characters are going through a midlife crisis. And they are just trying to figure out where they belong in life. And in this particular episode, we have a writer who's the husband of uh, Kim Cattrall who runs into a vicious and very aggressive broadcaster who does a radio show and they have lunch together and he was short $20. He invited her to lunch but didn't bring enough money. And the waiter, who is Durka of some sort, we are not told where he's from. Or he looks Moroccan to me. I mean, that's he, a fair he guess. looked Egyptian to me he's North African I mean it's Canada they definitely had policies in the 90s to invite North African immigration so, so Egyptian is still North African so my, my bet is on Egyptian I think Egyptian. Moroccan it's a restaurant there's, there's so a high is, chance this is a classic Durka debate we try to guess where someone is from but um, I think it was Morocco this is what the radio host says to him when he tells or her Algerian that the, they're short yes Listen to this. That's all the money I had. <laughs> this is about that caprese salad debacle, isn't it? No, he's short, that's no, all. No, that is not all. I don't think you understand. I think I do understand. No, you don't, and I'll tell you why. If you continue to try to defraud us, I'll have to have a chat with your boss, and then you'll be fired, and your desperate attempt to find new employment in this economy will catch the eye of immigration, and one morning, a rather humorless man will show up on your doorstep and take you to the airport, and as you're sitting there waiting to be deported, you'll think, oh, I could really use a latte right now because a latte is going to be so hard to find in my war-torn homeland. That is the very moment as you slap your pockets and realize that you don't have a fucking penny to your name, that's when you truly understand what it is to be short. I speechless. I that hurts. That hurts. That hurts. That hurts on so many levels. Yeah, just shell out the 20. Stop fronting with Well, it hurts on so many levels because at some point I did want to switch out careers and as an Arab, I took a, a break and I worked as a waitress. And so I can see myself exactly in that man's position. And my hometown is, in fact, a war-torn country where, in fact, I would not be able to find a latte very easily given the circumstances. And if I Even do though go coffee back, was invented there, just saying. And just if saying. I do go back there, I kind of technically she said you would not have a penny to your name it's just it's such a vicious heart targeted attack and she knows that you know you're working here if you don't have the citizenship you'll immigration will pick you up and you'll go back to your shitty homeland and first of all why is it a shitty homeland well that's well if it because right now in fact a lot of the countries are struggling so the the being there everybody's having coffee though 
but no, 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 no. That's if your country is stable and is not. I think my perspective is like the assumption that she's making are really oh, yeah, racist yeah, yeah. and bigoted, yes. and she doesn't even know where he's from. He could be from anywhere, where he could have his little coffee, his latte, and have many, probably more money to his name than struggling, you know, in Canada, whatever, where maybe he was fooled into some El Dorado. But what if false. she was right? Which, he, which happens to be in my not case. right. She's just a very uh, in my case, she would have been woman. right, and it it hurt. I think her accent almost sounding English, but still pronouncing the R's kind of made it even more vicious. Do not for be dramatic afraid of the effect. colonialist. Just push back. Well, what did the character do? He did nothing. He just stared at her because in a sense, I think that's kind of perfect because you don't respond to aggression like that. You don't respond to that kind of violence because it, it doesn't have a place with us. So I'm kind of glad that the... Where do you think the show's like positions itself? Was this uh, an ironic... Uh, statement or was just a, like a jab and nobody's going to say anything is that like a way of saying something mean to a community and like pretend this is a show or was this like I think it was to highlight how cruel that woman's character is all right so and to showcase the submissiveness of the other character who didn't feel the way that she felt we all knew that yeah so he stood silent and shook his head in agreement at the end um, and it just shows that complacency You know, somebody can say all these evil things about brown people and yet you'll have someone who's going to be like, yeah. Or he's nonplus. People said that. Or he's nonplus. Have you, have you heard like somebody say something so extravagantly off that you don't know what to say? You, you just, okay, yes. let's... If he had stayed silent, I would have agreed. But at the end, he actually nods his head. And I think that nod of the head meant that we are going to let these aggressive speakers speak for us. And I'm just going to watch back. And I think this happens in America in a sense that you have all these radio shows that are extreme, right? Where they say very hateful statements and very ignorant things and nobody really says anything about it. Because I think the vast majority of the masses are complacent and quiet. Uh, uh, are they? Yes. Because I've had immigrants telling me how much of an immigrant I am. Like, that's the game we play sometimes. Yeah, but that's your personal experience. It doesn't reflect the Like, this is this country majority. of this, so get, get, you know, get hip to it. Like, there's, I don't think... Think, I think, think of for politics. The purpose, I think this is more the, the st scenario of the show that required him to be quiet. But I don't think this is a generalization on what would actually happen. Well, I think to me it's, it's just a manifestation or symbolism to what happens at large. But... I, I agree with that completely. You know, this is what's happening, yes. you know, at large. And this is the man who represents an average person. Correct. We've been told that he's not vicious. He doesn't really have anything personal against that guy. Yet he stands by and does nothing. Right. Because she's in a sense defending this man. You know, if, if the man is to represent white people in general, then she is defending him. Although he doesn't really need defense at that point. You know, she's coming in. And also, in, he's the in. one, he's a culprit. He's the one who's short $20. What would you have done if that lady talked to you in that tone? I think I would have cried. No, come on. I, I would have honestly. Sama, you wouldn't have I would cried. have honestly. No, I would have honestly first cried. And then. I don't know. I don't think you can respond to someone Sama, like that. There's so much hate. You I would have, have totally served what she told you and like reversed it up on her and she would have been crying. I don't think I would have seen that coming. I think just the extent of, you know, there, there are levels of things that you can respond to. And I think because, you know, because, in fact, everything she was saying is true, 
except for the whole immigration being picked up. Thank you, American. It's not really uh, true. American <laughs> USCIS for giving me the citizenship. But I think everything about that would have been. Tr- it's not true. You can go anywhere in the Middle East and have your coffee. It's not like every. No, I can't. You're is a missing war zone. the point. Not everywhere is a war zone. But in my specific case, it would have hit home and it would have caused me to kind of not know I would have not had a reaction to that well you could have been like well we invented coffee I'm from Yemen so guess what but why why do that I'm just saying you could have pushed back there's but why why push back when someone is already filled with so much hate because you educate that's the only way I I don't know I educate to people who have an open mind not someone who already made up their choice I mean I think it's the opposite because they've made their choice then you create an avenue for a conversation if, why, why if just they had silent? an open mind but in that particular yeah, situation yeah she needed to be put back in her place and I think like telling her about how good the coffee is I mean technically it was from Ethiopia but the whole yeah. chemistry of it happened in Yemen I mean and I'm sure you have milk um, yeah <laughs> but we don't have soy milk or um, oat milk for example I will not be able to have a London fog with oat milk well, the I, presumption of the latte. I mean, maybe people would roll their eyes at the idea of a latte. I mean, that's the thing. It's a class thing, too. You know, I say you're this brown, as I sip on my us. latte, by the way. Oat milk? Yes, with tea. So we know that we would have reacted to that a little differently. Had it been... Actually, I think it would have been a lot easier if I saw someone do that to someone else. I would have felt a lot more comfortable stepping in and setting in the right tone and addressing it properly i think having it happen to you personally is a little different i've had that happen a lot in the french system or when i accidentally lived in france and people just assume that um like they were like oh here you are taking our jobs taking this and i was like no my father works for the algerian government i'm not taking any jobs i'm at school so i'm really used to people having these assumptions of like you're taking something away from them or your presence is a nuisance that they can remedy and it's like no you you, you can't really touch me everything in order i think for a next episode or for a future episode we should talk about immigration and the idea of taking people's jobs just the concept of how it's thought of here and there and how it's dealt with in both places you know in the west and in the middle east or in Durka land north africa and asia now this is going to be huge but just the, uh, of how you deal with that issue in general so our episode today was pretty much three main sections we got to talk about um we got saudi arabia about, yes. opening cinemas and playing black panther as their first movie we talked about the tristan thompson affair and how he comes to ireland and virginia to middle eastern land to a hookah bar to cheat on Chloe Kardashian. clones of his, are they any Kardashian, I guess? Yes. Kardashian clones. Um, and then we talked about the aftermath of 9-11 and how it kind of put us out there and how we feel about it and how it makes us nervous every single time it happens. And then we finally talked about sensitive skin. And I think that title is fantastic for this show because that's how the comment made me feel it made me feel like i had sensitive skin um and so with that you gotta grow a thick one as a durka oh i definitely have a thick one but that (laughs) statement my god stop Um, with that statement you would have destroyed her probably (laughs) with words probably words (laughs) let's (laughs) let's denounce violence (laughs) all right thank you guys for tuning in This is District Darkos. Meet us again next week on Full Service Radio. Bye-bye. Ciao. 
Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>